Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.59 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 6th of July, 2021. This is episode 450 of Bitcoin and as usual. And as usual, I wake up to a dump. <laughs> it's like, it's right, right when I wake up. I'm serious. It's like, I like, I study, you know, get stumble out of bed, pull on some clothes, stumble over to the, you know, coffee maker, grab some coffee, stumble into the study, sit down at my computer, wake it up. It's on trading view. Actually, no, in this particular case, it was on, it was on Bitcoin Twitter. And the first thing that happened is BitMEX wrecked long, liquidated longs just started showering, showering my feed. And I'm like, son of a bitch, am I doing this? Is it my fault? Hell, I don't even trade. I mean, I don't know. We'll get into some of that shit here in a little bit. Let's start, however, with, uh, ooh, before I actually even start. Uh, if you want to help a brother out, support the podcast, you can always listen to it through the Breeze wallet. That's B-R-E-E-Z, the Breeze wallet. No, they're not a sponsor. It's amazing. They're, I'm incentivized to advertise for them because if I do and you go to the Breeze wallet, you can stream me Satoshis while you listen to the podcast minute over minute. You can send me like as little as like, I think it's, you can send me like zero Satoshis per, uh, per minute and still listen to the podcast on the breeze because it's completely optional. But there's a slider and you can set it to three, nine, 16 Satoshis per minute. And every minute that goes by that you're listening to me, you can stream me value. And those Satoshis, by the way, go directly to my lightning node. They do not go to an intermediary third party. They stream directly to me after probably hitting a few hops along the way. But after that, you know, they, they stream right to my lightning wallet that's sitting on my uh, full lightning node. So again, if you want to help a brother out, the Breeze wallet has a podcasting app directly inside of it that uses podcasting 2.0 technology. Now let's begin. <clears throat> Counting on Bitcoin. Obi Nwosu writing this one. He's the CEO and co-founder of CoinFloor. Uh, here's an easy one, which is more powerful, the pen or the sword. Or to update it a little, an assault rifle or an idea. I've been thinking about this eternal philosophical question a great deal recently, especially in light of recent reports about the global war on Bitcoin. Because for all the enormous nation-state resources ranged against Bitcoin, history tells us that brute force can't extinguish people's burning desire for freedom. Ho Chi Minh summed it up well in his warning to the French imperialists in 1946, quote, For every one of your soldiers I kill, you will kill ten of mine. But even at those odds, 
you will lose, and we will win. What Ho understood is that while a bomb may blow you to bits, no force on earth can resist an idea whose time has come. No weapon can change the way we think or how we count. Back in March, I talked about Bitcoin's milestones of the mind and its journey to become the world's reserve currency. One of the most important of these is becoming a standard unit of account when people stop counting in dollars and start reckoning in sats and Bitcoin. Once again, Bitcoin, or rather Bitcoiners, have surprised me with the rapidity of our re revolution. Perhaps you too have noticed the change? Where once people talked about the dollar value of their Bitcoin holdings, now they are talking in terms of sat stacking milestones or voicing their ambitions to be part of the select whole coiner group owning one whole Bitcoin or more. And it's not just ordinary investors. You look at MicroStrategy's press release announcing its latest investment last month, quote, MicroStrategy acquires additional Bitcoin and now holds over 105,000 Bitcoin in total. Sure, they mentioned the dollar value in the body of the release, but where it matters, in the headline, they're counting in Bitcoin. Quietly but quickly, our unit of account is changing, and that's important for a range of practical and philosophical reasons. As I explained earlier this year, becoming a standard unit of account is about acceptance and recognition by the financial community. This means that Bitcoin is establishing itself as a contender for the final, lasting attribute of a world reserve currency. To be clear, fiat in the form of USD, Euro, Great British Pound is still the dominant unit of account when it comes to paying for things. <clears throat> However, when it comes to store value, fiat's high level of inflation and Bitcoin's fixed supply means people are increasingly looking to stack of sats as a measure of their stored wealth. But there's something even more important going on here. Counting in Bitcoin cements the idea of the revolution in people's heads. From where no whip weapon can dislodge it, the real war is not governments against Bitcoin, but the fight between fiat and Bitcoin for our headspace. Just as it's impossible to express or even hold an idea if you don't have the words to describe it, so the battle for hegemony will be won by the currency in which we count. Bitcoin's opponents are waging an unwinnable war with the wrong weapons against a movement that they do not understand. They can curb exchanges, shut down mining operations, and slap punitive taxes on Bitcoin profits. None of that matters because the real revolution isn't taking place at the level of regulation or in the corridors of power. It's happening in our head. More and more people are counting in Bitcoin because they are counting on Bitcoin. If something is a unit of account, it means that it is truly trusted. As Bitcoin continues to persist, progress, and prevail, trust will only grow. It won't be long before everybody will be counting in Bitcoin. And I agree with Obi here, as usual. I, uh, I enjoy reading Obi. He's, he's an excellent writer. Uh, he's really criminally underread and underfollowed, honestly. But, you know, it is what it is. So getting to the idea of counting in Bitcoin. It, it, I mean, I, I get what he's saying, you know, and I'm not saying that he's incorrect. <clears throat> you know, I always I have been wondering more and more and more about why am I comparing my Bitcoin stack to any fiat currency? Because that's an unstable, you know, that's a, a an entirely unstable, you know, route to run, right? Because of inflation and God only knows what the hell else they're doing that we don't know about. And I guarantee you they're doing shit we don't know about. <clears throat> and a long time ago, I came up with the idea of comparing Bitcoin 
to the value of arable land in the world, like literally just the the entire planet Earth. And arable in this you know in this way kind of means farmable. But that's you know I started thinking about that and I because I formulated that idea before I read a book called Tree Crops, which was written in Jesus. It was like 1928 was when it was first published. And essentially, um, it took the it took the steam out of having to have arable land to have a functioning farm. Um, arable land is like generally speaking, arable land is flat, easy to plow, i.e., easy to destroy the soil because that's what we're what we're doing. And then people bitch about you know the amount of carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere, and I'm like, well, there's nowhere for it to go. Because you keep you keep this land plowed and basically nothing growing on it for anywhere between four and six months out of the year. What did you expect? Plants consume carbon dioxide, turn it into sugar with photosynthesis, and about anywhere between 40 and 60% of all those sugars do not end up being re-respired by the plant, i.e. that sugar burned at night when the sun's not on, right? No. 60 to 40% of all the carbon that that plant takes in <clears throat> gets exuded by the roots to feed the soil life. And that soil life consumes that carbon and keeps it in the soil for a long time, a very, very, very long time. When there's nothing growing over billions of acres across the world for six months out of the year, where do you expect that carbon to go? We do not have a fossil fuel problem. We have a lack of growing land. That's what we have a lack of. But be that as it may, that's actually an aside. The arable land notion is kind of flawed because of the book that I read. And let me tell you why. <clears throat> the, the data from this book, and this is way back in 1928, if you extrapolate to today's numbers, some of these numbers get, get kind of insane. But what he was talking about essentially is that, look, if you want annual crops, you need flat land. You can't farm a hillside because basically you destroy the soil structure. The first couple of rains come along and it just, you know, the loose soil just gets washed away and you're just, you're just hammered, which is why you don't see farmland on top of hills. But what does do well on hills are trees, lots of trees, olive trees, chestnut trees, hickory trees, walnut, pecan, all this kind of shit. And if you do it right and you plant it out right, you can have a whole, like, you know, I don't know, like a, a full, let's say, you know, a couple of acres of pecan trees on hill that, yes, with, you know, a little bit of strategy and, you know, some kind of, you know, forethought, you can go harvest those nuts. It's a permanent crop, Right. And it makes money. I don't know if you've priced pecans, like whole unshelled pecans at the store, but we're paying like 14 bucks a pound or something like that, or 14 bucks per two or three pounds or something like that. It's, it's insane. It's a lot of money. Walnuts command even a higher price. And you don't need quote unquote arable land for that. So when I, I have to readjust the way that I'm thinking about Bitcoin as compared to land, which they ain't making not much more of unless you want to wait 500 years after a volcano spews its shit out into an ocean. 
and it's probably more like a thousand or fifteen hundred years before you can do anything with that. Although the book, honestly, I'm going to take that back. You can grow carob trees apparently on old lava flows without any kind of soil as long as it can get a root into a crack of the lava flow. Apparently, carob trees will grow. And you know what you can do with carob? Don't make that shit carob chocolate out of it. Feed it to animals, harvest the animals, and eat the protein. So even a lava flow, honestly, can actually be put into production. But that's just an aside. So I got to go back and, and re, you know, review how do I get how much land there is between you know, temperature zones that would make permanent crops in the form of trees viable. And if so, then we get a much better picture of what the value of Bitcoin actually is without having to go into, into fiat terms, if you understand what I'm saying. But the best way, in my opinion, to value Bitcoin against anything else is that that anything else has to have the same property as Bitcoin, i.e., there's not going to be any more of it. So whether you're counting your Bitcoin in planets, arable land, any land, you, you know, you name it, that's the real way to go. And I, I still believe that the, the counting of Bitcoin as how many acres of functional land that you can get out of it is a better way to value your Bitcoin than, you know, the great British pound, the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen, any of that bullshit. So let's continue on with the news. Bitcoin.org owner reports site hit with absolutely massive DDoS. Turner Wright has this one for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> A website aiming to support the development of Bitcoin has reportedly been hit by DDoS. Cobra, the pseudonymous owner of Bitcoin.org, reported on Twitter today that the website has been hit with an absolutely massive distributed denial of service or DDoS attack along with a ransom demanded for an undisclosed amount of Bitcoin. At time of publication, Bitcoin.org is still accessible. Quote, back in the day, you could put up a reasonable fight against most DDoS attacks. Now they just down you at will. There's no fight anymore. You go down and you stay down until they leave you alone. While DDoS attacks have previously targeted major crypto exchanges, it seems somewhat unusual for attackers to go after a site like Bitcoin.org, which holds no information about funds or users, only open source information on the BTC blockchain and the cryptocurrency. The website was the target of a similar DDoS attack back in December, which resulted in users being unable to access the Bitcoin Core software for a few hours. Last year, major DDoS attacks targeted Binance, OKX, and Bitfinex. At the time, CEO Shengpeng Zhao claimed that the attack on Binance was undertaken by its competitors in an attempt to harm its reputation rather than steal funds. This isn't the first time that the website has been in the news in recent weeks. Yeah, no shit. Bitcoin.org has also been the target of legal threats from Craig Wright, the man who claims he created Bitcoin. Last week, a UK court ruled in favor of Wright claiming copyright infringement against Bitcoin.org for hosting the Bitcoin white paper. Cobra did not mount a defense to the lawsuit. Quote, I didn't show up because defending against nonsense is a waste of time, the Bitcoin.org owner said at the time. Following the court ruling, Bitcoin.org blocked access to download the Bitcoin Core software for any user with a UK-based IP address 
the project has also removed any links to the Bitcoin white paper. So Cobra's been getting a lot of shit about this. And honestly, I've had my scrapes, you know, with Cobra. There's been a lot of times when I've just called him out on bullshit. And he kind of, you know, tried to spank me back pretty hard. But in this one, I'm on Cobra's side. Um, you know, this it's sad to, it's sad to see. But here's the thing. I never depended on Bitcoin.org for my, my Bitcoin habit. Neither to, you know, download the core software because it's not the only place that you can get it. It's not. It's not the only place. It's not the only place that you can get the white paper. It's not the only place that you can read about, you know, what Satoshi Nakamoto said. You know, there's the Nakamoto Institute run by Pierre Richard and all those guys. And uh, uh, was Alec, was it? Oh, God, Gladstein. And, uh, you know, I never depended on it. I, I went, I've gone there, but I, I, I never needed it. So the people that are raising their voices about how this is just, you know, this is going to, some people have actually said, this is the end of Bitcoin. No, no, that's bullshit. If that was the end of Bitcoin, the end of Bitcoin would have happened years ago, dude. So Craig Wright and Cobra and this entire UK mess aside, don't feed into the hype because that's all it is. It's hype. The second thing I'll say about Cobra is I'm very happy that he didn't show up to defend this because he would have been doxxed, right? And at any given time, I expect him to be doxxed. I expect him to find them to find out who the hell he is. I don't know how they do that. And I'm not even going to speculate because that's not, that ain't, even that's not right. But they did the same thing to Hodel and not. They doxxed his ass. And, you know, now you see what's going on. So I'm, I'm just going to stay on the side of Cobra here, whether or not I've disagreed with him in the past and say that I'm glad that he did not allow himself to be doxxed. All right. And uh, honestly, I think others should, should feel the same, but sadly, not a whole lot of people feel the same. Now, getting into probably why we dumped this morning, Martin Young has this from Cointelegraph. Investors stay clear. UBS warns regulators could pop bubble-like crypto markets. Mm, maybe that's what it was. When was this? Oh, seven hours ago. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so this may be one of the reasons why we're seeing the dump today because people are just twitchy out there. Swiss multinational investment banking giant UBS has warned its clients the crypto assets uh, are unsuitable for professional investors if regulatory pressures continue. In a note sent to clients last week, the global wealth management team at UBS said China's latest crackdown had hurt crypto prices and operators, cautioning that further regulatory pushback worldwide could exacerbate the downward pressure on the digital asset price. Quote, regulators have demonstrated that they can and will crack down on crypto, so we suggest investors stay clear and build their portfolio around less risky assets. We've long warned that shifting investor sentiment or regulatory crackdowns could pop bubble-like crypto markets, end quote. While UBS, and we'll get to UBS here in a second, while UBS acknowledged that further crypto gains could be possible, they emphasized the risks the speculative asset class could pose to investors, quote, while we can't rule out future price gains in cryptos, we see this as a speculative market that poses significant risk to professional investors, end quote. 
The Swiss bank also warned about leverage trading, stating crypto trading practices such as extending 50 to 100x leverage appear fundamentally at odds with mainstream financial regulation, quote, or end quote. I'm going to pause right there to say this. I agree with UBS on the leverage issue. 50x, 100x leverage positions are there to do one thing, to blow your head off. That's all that shit's good for. If you've survived a positive trade with 100x leverage, good for you. It's not going to last. Hell, even I was listening to Willie Wu. I think he was on uh, Peter McCormick's podcast. He was like, dude, I rarely use over 1x leverage because that can, he's like, I've gotten blown out with 1x. Could you imagine a hundred times that? Getting If Willie Wu doesn't want to get blown out by 1x, could you imagine being a 17-year-old kid and getting blown out at 50 to 100x? No, so here I actually agree with UPS, but I also don't agree that, you know, that it should be quote unquote illegal. Okay. If you want to take that chance, that's up to you, but dude, don't just, it just stay away. Continuing the renewed Chinese crackdown on Bitcoin mining operations, which began in late April has seen mixed analysis from the crypto community. While some arguing the migration of hash power from China offers the Bitcoin mining industry an opportunity to improve its ecological footprint and to further decentralize the network. The banks see it differently, however, with UBS fearing that China's actions will create a cascade effect around the world from financial regulators. Why? Because they're all scared of China? Jesus, pussies. UBS's prediction already appears to be coming true with the United Kingdom's Financial Conduct Authority taking action against the world's largest digital asset exchange, Binance, on June the 27th. A number of leading high street banks in the UK, including TSB, NatWest, and Barclays, have limited their customers' access to crypto exchanges since the FCA took action against Binance in late June. In May, Cointelegraph reported that UBS was rumored to be working on launching crypto trading services for services for wealthy clients. Now, as a just a small aside about UBS, let's I don't know. Let's look at some of the fines that UBS has been forced to pay over the past, I don't know, uh past years, let's say. This is violationtracker.goodjobsfirst.org. The violation tracker for the parent company is UBS. These are all UBS related. Top five offense groups. Financial offenses, UBS was fined $14,821,113,009. I don't normally run the train wreck this early in the show, but this is your daily train wreck. Competition-related offenses for UBS, $1.9 billion. Employment-related offenses, $102.8 million. Or no, I'm sorry, yeah, million dollars. Miscellaneous offenses is $250,000. Environment-related offenses is $80,000. Now, The primary offense types, in top five anyway, investor protection violation. UBS was fined $11.6 billion. 
They had 60 offenses on that. They had 76 offenses on the, on the financial offenses. The number of records is 76. They were fined 76 times for a total of $14.8 billion. And they're telling me that Bitcoin is risky and that I should hang out with them in their, quote, less risky asset classes. No, thank you. No, thank you. These, these are the people that are trying to tell you what is good and what is bad for you, Mr. and Mrs. Retail. Now, getting a little bit further into the weeds on the Binance versus uh, Binance thing, sorry. Binance <clears throat> is disappointed by Barclays' unilateral action to block customer payments. This was 15 hours ago. Cointelegraph, Sam Vorgi is gonna bring it to us. Barclays' decision to stop facilitating British customers' payments to Binance has been met with criticism by the cryptocurrency exchange after a spokesperson told Cointelegraph that the bank acted with, quote, an inaccurate understanding of events. Quote, we are disappointed that Barclays appears to have taken unilateral action based on what appears to be an inaccurate understanding of events, the spokesperson said, referring to a recent edict by the United Kingdom's Financial Conduct Authority barring Binance Markets Limited from operating in the country. Quote, the FCA notice relates to Binance Markets Limited, which is a company incorporated in the UK and regulated by the FCA, the spokesperson said, adding that Binance Market Limited is a separate legal entity that doesn't offer any products or services through the main Binance website. The FCA notice had no bearing on user deposits on the main Binance website, the spokesperson said, adding, quote, we have always taken the security of our users' money very seriously, end quote. Binance said it welcomes open dialogue with Barclays to discuss the matter further, quote, we take our compliance obligations very seriously and we are committed to working collaboratively with regulators to shape policies that protect consumers, encourage innovation, and move our industry forward, end quote. Better put a tie on that suit speak. God dang. So yeah, uh, Barclays, th this is the war. This is part of the war on Bitcoin and it's not going to stop. You wanted a ride? You're going to get a ride. You're in it for the long haul, then you better be ready to actually know what long haul means. I'm not in this for instant gratification. I'm in this because I'm absolutely sick and tired of watching the world burn and burn at the hands of people that are fined 14.8 billion fucking dollars and not a single person goes to jail. Not a single person is fired and they all get bonuses. And the cause, the, the effects of that is seen around the world in myriad stories of poverty, land degradation, family degradation, moral degradation, ethic degradation. It's a firestorm. I've, you know, if you get sad and teary-eyed that there's a forest fire burning through a Colorado forest, be assured that most of those forest fires are absolutely clearly necessary, but when they get too big, they kill everything. They're supposed to not kill the damn trees. They're supposed to just burn out all the, the, the dropped fuel over the year or a couple of years, but when so much fuel gets dropped and nobody wants a forest fire and they keep 
pushing or kicking the can down the road, whether financially or through the USDA in with the whole Smokey the Bear can't let anything burn, what you get is so much fuel laid on the forest floor that when a forest fire does, because it's always a matter of when and not if, when a forest fire does spark, it burns everything. And we're seeing the same thing throughout the world population. If you look at all of us as trees, some of us are getting burned down to the point that there is no recovery. And it's people like this that are doing it. It's people like Barclays. It's people like UBS. It's people like the financial, you know, or the, the Federal Reserve, the FCA, the FATF, you know, all the, the rest of the unelected bureaucratic officials in our world have caused so much bullshit fuel to drop that this fire is going to suck. It's just going to suck. All right. <clears throat> now, I know that sounds bleak, but we have, that's why we have Bitcoin. That's why I Bitcoin, because that's the glimmer of hope that I got. And it's more than a glimmer. It's more like a bright, shining light on my ass. So, you know, just because the news today is bad, don't let that, don't let that uh, affect you in any way. We're, that's what the ride is about. You're always going to have some pretty bad days. This isn't exactly a very pleasant day. Breaking. Top executives of BitThumb indicted in Hong Kong. Prescient Jia has this one for Coingate.com. The Hong Kong subsidiaries of South Korea's largest exchange, BitThumb, are facing a lawsuit for breach of contract, and top executives, including the owner of the exchange, have been indicted for committing fraud. The top executives face criminal charges for fraud <clears throat> worth 100 billion won. The lawsuit will be filed by the exchange's former Thai partner, who has filed a separate lawsuit in South Korea last year. The former partner would file a civil lawsuit against two subsidiaries, BitThumb Global Holdings and GBEX, GBEX, after discovering BitThumb is planning to open an exchange in Thailand again. BitThumb first announced its plans of opening subsidiaries in Japan and Thailand back in 2017, but by 2018, Thai partners realized that the executives were only making empty promises to sell the token called BXA, issued by BK Group Chairman Kim Byung-gun, who promised the token will be listed on BitThumb soon, TM. He also tried overtaking a BitThumb uh, <clears throat> in 2018, but failed, and so did his plans to list the group's token. The Thai partner said, after BitThumb stopped its BXA coin business, its Thai operation became unnecessary, so the company ended its business in Thailand unilaterally, causing serious damage to us. BGX and GBEX collectively own a 49% stake in the joint venture in Thailand and are wholly owned subsidiaries of BitThumb Korea, so we sued BitThumb's Korea's executives last year and decided recently to file lawsuits in Hong Kong against the Hong Kong subsidiaries and their executives who are related to this issue more directly, end quote. After collecting a significant down payment on the BXA token, the failure to list it on BitThumb incurred heavy losses for the investors. The Thai partners revealed that the decision to file a lawsuit in Hong Kong arose after seeing no actions against the culprits in South Korea, and the lawsuit is still pending in the Suseo police station in Seoul for nine months. The group also plans to file a lawsuit in Japan against BitThumb in the near future. So these are the attack vectors, or the, some of the attack vectors. Clearly, there's, there's more of them. But they're only social. This is, this is one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin. 
the only attack vector that it has is its surface. The only attack vector any system has is its surface area. Bitcoin happens to be a perfect sphere. It has the least amount of surface area that you can have for an object. And all you see in this nice sphere is just think of it as a nice, polished, shiny metal sphere. And all you can see is the reflection of yourself. That tells me that the only attack vectors that we have are externalities. You can't change the code. You can disrupt mining, but that's still external because the difficulty adjustment protects against that. It's a, it's a beautiful system. It's one of the, it's one of the most, I want to say elegant, but that's actually not the, not the correct term to actually say, but it's one of the, it's, it's one of the most natural systems that I've ever seen that was created by the mind of humans. Usually we fuck all that shit up, but this one, this one seems to follow natural law and first principles in a way that nothing that we've ever built has ever even come close to. This is why I Bitcoin. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate up a buck. That's a 1.34% change to the upside. It's coming in at $76.17 a barrel. Brenton North Sea. Dude, we I'm wondering if we see a flippening on Brenton North Sea versus West Texas Intermediate. I'm I've never seen numbers this close. $77.13 for a barrel of Brenton North Sea. That's actually down three pennies, which is a 0.04% to the downside move. Natural gas is up a uh, let's see, one and a quarter percent. Three dollars and seventy-four cents <throat> gets you a thousand cubic feet of that. Gasoline prices rose 55% or 55%, sorry, 0.55%. That's a penny change to the upside, $2.31 per gallon. Shiny Metal Rocks having a day, bro. Gold up 1.35%. It's now back over $1,800, much to the appreciation of Peter Schiff. Silver up 0.73%. $26.69. Platinum is up 1.8. Copper is up 2.2. Palladium is up 1.67. Uh, agricultural futures are flat. A dude got a hold of me on uh, Twitter yesterday and said that I should do onion futures. <laughs> and I had uh, immediately remembered <clears throat> that I read a story about why onion futures are illegal to this day. Apparently, there was a whole bunch of traders or it was a guy that wanted to corner the onion market. And I guess I can't, if you know the story better than I do, can you please direct me to where it was? Cause I can't find it. But apparently a trader, and this is back, you know, in commodities exchange days in New York where people were yelling at each other on the floor. And I, it's like the twenties or something like that. And it was like, people were getting it's the roaring twenties. People were getting rich. I think it was pretty sure it was before the depression and all these onion futures were bought. And somehow or another, they got physically delivered, but there was no place to deliver them to. So all the onion packing guys emptied their warehouses, put them on trucks and drove them to the commodities exchange. And it was either in New York or, or, or Chicago at the time. I can't remember. And literally just dumped them there. And 
onion futures were immediately made illegal. You couldn't trade onion futures and you still can't to this day. A little, little history there. Uh, let's see, indices. Dow is down 0 0.08. Uh, S&P futures are down 0 0.03. NASDAQ futures are up 0.16. S&P mini is down 0.13, at least as the futures are concerned. Real money, $33,868.81 or $33 for Bitcoin. And 221,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 9,200 transactions every hour. 341,700 BTC were sent in the last 24 hours. And that is about 15,000 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.5 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.023 BTC. That's about $789.41. Block time's coming back up to normal, man. Thank God, 10 minutes and 50 seconds. We have 0.38 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 50.6 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 3.3% increase in hash rate, we are back up to 90.75 exahashes per second. A diff or rather a hash rate we haven't seen since last year. Oh my God, we're all gonna die. It's a mining death spiral. Oh no, whatever shall we do? Eek, eek, oh the humanity, blah, blah. Dogecoin being your shitcoin indicator is at 23 United States pennies. So that's what shitcoin markets are doing. 3,147 transactions are waiting on seven blocks to clear. <clears throat> we have a six, $635.5 billion market cap, which is 5.4% of gold's entire market cap. And today we can still get 18.7 ounces of gold for our one Bitcoin of which there are. 18,749,154.00 BTC at a price of 33,895 according to clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard. Oh God. <clears throat> we have uh, 1,682 Bitcoin in the Lightning Network, which is valued at $57.0 million. That's being run over 12,197 nodes with 52,235 open payment channels that we know about. Uh, ooh, 66% for the Tor capacity of the Lightning Network. Tor is sort of a, if you don't know, is, well, you, you know, and if you don't know, Google TOR, you'll figure it out. 1,110.9 BTC are in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 6,841 nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Bitcoin stock to flow model rooted in hard money narrative goes off course. Oh no, whatever shall we do? Oh my God, oh my God. Lila Ledizima has this one for Coindesk. One of the most widely used charts for predicting massive future Bitcoin price gains is showing the largest divergence since January of 2019. The Bitcoin stock to flow model currently suggests that the price of Bitcoin should be around $77,900. But as of Monday, the cryptocurrency was trading at $33,668, well off of the all-time high price of $64,800 reached in April. Crypto analyst plan B 
who has been documenting his stock-to-flow model since March of 2019, tweeted that BTC is now the furthest away from the estimated value in more than two years. Oh, my God. He said that in the next six months, uh, it will make or break the stock-to-flow model. This, and that's he's got a tweet out here that says, and this is 100 trillion USD on Twitter. June closing price, 35037 as far below the stock-to-flow model as in January 2019. Next six months will make or break S2F again. He actually has again because this model has been broken a, a couple of times way back in the past. From what I'm seeing, mid mid 2011, and then again right after 2013, and then again in around right before uh, 2014, the divergence was way more to, but it was also a divergent to the upside, not to the downside. Here we're divergent to the downside, but we had that again. We had that in 2019 after that, oh, after the COVID shock. So anyway. I don't know what you think about stock to flow model. It's look, all models are broken. Some of them are useful. Let's continue. The stock to flow model is generally applied to natural resources like gold or silver. The commodities are often referred to as store of value resources that in theory should retain their value over the long term due to their scarcity and low flow. The idea is <clears throat> that low supply makes the metals more like hard money contrasted with the dollar. This is an especially harsh juxtaposition as the Federal Reserve has printed more than $4 trillion of, uh, of fresh dollars since the coronavirus pandemic hit in March of 2020. That's the same amount the U.S. Central Bank had previously created since it was established early last century. Bitcoin, sometimes touted by proponents as digital gold, is treated as if it were a scarce commodity for the purposes of the model. Bitcoin is costly to produce and considered scarce as its maximum supply is capped at 21 million coins. Hold on there for a second. I, I screwed that up. On the stock to flow model, the 2019 uh, print, uh, printing uh, was not due to, to COVID. I don't know where I got that from. It's probably because it's 6.42 in the morning. Bear with me, guys. At least I can catch and correct a mistake. I may not be able to add or, or spell my name, but I can at least do this. Anyway, the cryptocurrency undergoes Bitcoin halvings, where the net number of Bitcoin entering the system with every new data block, which is every 10 minutes or so on average, gets cut in half. These halvings take place roughly every four years. Quote, Bitcoin has a limited supply, which is great and well known, said Charles Morris, founder of ByteTree Asset Management. As supply is cemented, the price can only be driven by demand. In the past, the Bitcoin stock to flow model has been used to forecast future BTC price action. Pantera Capital, a hedge fund that specializes in cryptocurrency, predicted in April 2020 the Bitcoin could rise to 115,000 by August of this year using this model. Plan B wrote in a blog post in April of 2020 that the price of Bitcoin could hit 288,000 by 2024, citing the stock to flow model. Quote, According to the model's projections, Bitcoin's price should see a significant increase over time due to its continuously reduced stock-to-flow ratio, said Binance Academy in a blog post. It's worth noting that the model relies heavily on the assumption that the scarcity of the cryptocurrency could drive value, which might not always be the case. That's especially true because of the notoriously volatile short-term swings in Bitcoin price. <clears throat> Quote, 
The stock to flow model was created on the back of two having events, Morris said. I agree with some caution that having may boost the price by roughly 2x as minor selling pressure halves, but the notion the future price path is assured multiples beyond this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Why? Because all models are broken. Some of them are useful. That's not just for financial shit, guys. That's for like, you go to any, go to any scientist that's like, you know, data scientist that's trying to project out into the future based on the path using a model. And if they don't tell you that their model is broken, but that hopefully it's useful, they are not doing you a service. They are doing you a disservice. All models are broken, whether they're physics, aerodynamics, chemical, biochemical, genetic, it does not matter. If it's a model, it's broken. Hopefully it's useful, but that doesn't mean that it's not broken. All models are broken. Some of them are useful. YouTuber accused of engineering a multi-million dollar pump and dump via Uniswap. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I, I know you don't like the shitcoin stuff, guys, but if you got to be armed when somebody says, hey, I'm thinking about Uniswap, you can say, well, I don't know. Let me tell you about this guy. Brian Quarby is going to do it from Cointelegraph. An ex-Google tech lead and YouTuber with more than 1.1 million subscribers has been accused of engineering a multi-million dollar pump and dump. Patrick Hsu, known pseudonymously as tech lead on YouTube, <clears throat> launched the million token, MM, via an initial DEX offering on leading decentralized exchange Uniswap last Thursday. The project's website describes million as a pre-mined cryptocurrency with a fixed supply of 1 million tokens, that are backed by one USD coin each per token. The website emphasizes that despite only being backed by $1 million worth of stablecoin, MM has, quote, no maximum value. After being priced at $1 on launch, MM saw a mammoth 3,500% increase within just three days to hit $36.87 on Sunday. The price has since crashed declining by 58% to sit around $15.26 at the time of writing. Still not bad gains from a dollar on launch. You got hosed if you bought into it though, man, because it's going to crash further. I guarantee it. The immediate crash that followed millions of price high has led to accusations the project is a pump and dump on Twitter, with user DCF God highlighting the large sums of liquidity that has been pulled from Uniswap by the same address that minted the MM tokens. <clears throat> Quote, by removing liquidity and not selling, he's effectively selling without selling. This way, he doesn't have to tell the community that he sold while they all bought. He just has to hold his initial promise of keeping 1 million of USDC liquidity, they argued. Shu responded to the thread, labeling it absolute FUD, arguing, quote, this is literally how liquidity works in Uniswap V3. Liquidity ranges are created. You cannot literally do it any other way. Popular commentator ChainlinkGod.eth2.0 commented the tech lead had completely missed DCF's point, stating, quote, You've created a get-rich-quick scheme so you can dump on your followers. You've added liquidity when the price is low and removed it when the price was high and profited the difference in USDC, end quote. Shu published a YouTube video on Tuesday addressing the accusations denying that he rug-pulled investors by removing liquidity. However, <clears throat> the YouTuber also emphasized that MM token 
should not be considered an investment, <laughs> describing the project as a, quote, social experiment. <laughs> Suckers. Quote, million tokens should not be considered an investment by any means. This is a social experiment and really just pure speculation. It's kind of a game for us to see what happens with this. Kind of like Dogecoin, end quote. Oh, this is why I read this shit to you guys so that you're armed with stories like this. When people come up and ask you about, should I get into Uniswap? Should I do this DeFi thing? No, no, you shouldn't because you'll end up like one of the poor idiots that bought the MM token. Dude, rug pulls are everywhere. They're just absolutely everywhere. Now, in, in, in government news and an illustration that governments will fleece you no matter what you do, where you are, Kazakhstan introduces additional taxes for crypto miners. Jesus. You guys could have had it. You know, now, now miners that have not packed up their shit to leave China are going to bypass your ass because they don't want to deal with this crap. Andrew Asmakov, writing for Decrypt.co, has it. President of the Republican, Republic of Kazakhstan, Kasim Jomart Takayev, recently signed amendments to the country's tax laws and budget payments codes, introducing a new tax for cryptocurrency mining operators. <clears throat> Specifically, the amendments impose a fee to the tune of one Kazakhstan teng, or 0.0023 US dollars, per kilowatt hour utilized by cryptocurrency miners and will take effect from January 1st, 2022. Albert Rao, who chairs the Committee for Economic Reform and Regional Development and authored the new legislation earlier, told local news outlet Cursive that energy fees on miners would not only bring the mining industry into a state-regulated field, but would also help cut uncontrolled consumption of energy by operators. However, it appears that the government has largely ignored the criticism from the local mining community. In May, the National Association of Blockchain and the Data Center Industry of Kazakhstan summoned a press conference where the organizer's president, Alan Dordiziv, said mining operators already struggled just to break even and that new fees may fend off investors. Kazakhstan's new law comes amid a flux in influx of crypto miners from China. In recent months, China has cracked down on cryptocurrency, blah, blah, blah. We know that story. With the Bitcoin hash rate plummeting, many miners have relocated to countries including Kazakhstan in search of cheaper electricity in a more friendly jurisdiction. Last month, Chinese Bitcoin mining firm BIT Mining, which operates the BTC.com mining pool, shipped a batch of 320 mining machines to Kazakhstan, with 2,600 more expected to follow by July the 1st. Bitcoin mining hardware manufacturer Canaan has already set up its first overseas center in the country to cater to the new market. The decision to impose new fees on cryptocurrency mining operators, quote, will have very negative impact on the investment attractiveness of the industry, Alan Dordaziv told Forklog last week. He also said that Chinese miners who were looking at Kazakhstan as a possible jurisdiction to move their businesses to are disturbed by this initiative. Well, of course they're disturbed. You know, I mean, of course they're disturbed. You know, South America and Central America, if they do this shit right, they are going to make bank. They are going to make absolute bank. The only problem is, is that the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean separates all these mining machines from their shores. But I do hope they go after it. I, I hope Guatemala 
and Costa Rica and Panama and El Salvador. I hope they I hope they just reach right out for that brass ring to bring all that over to the Western Hemisphere would be pretty cool. However, yes, I know you're screaming decentralization. Hey, look, these guys, things things are going to decentralize and centralize based based on government regulation. Kazakhstan just took their pistol out of their holster, pointed it right at the ground, and blew their foot off. If they don't reverse this, then they're not going to be a destination for wealth. That's just the way it is. If you thought you were going to get wealthy by taxing the miners, think again. Because regulatory arbitrage is always there. And there's always going to be a country that says, you know what? We can probably do this a different way. Jesus, I mean, the United States before 1913 did not have an income tax. We were doing just fine. We we were. We were doing just fine, except for the whole World War I thing. But other than that, we were doing okay. And then the Federal Reserve Act was enacted and the income tax thing happened and all of a sudden, marauds, whatever, dude. New York locals are accusing gas-fired mining operation of heating Seneca Lake. Brian Quarmby also has this one from Cointelegraph. New York locals are accusing Greenage, and I've reported on this yesterday, Greenage's generation, uh, generation's gas-fired Bitcoin mining plant of heating Seneca Lake in upstate New York. Greenage is, we talked about it yesterday. On a daily basis, the Greenage plant is permitted to withdraw 139 million gallons of water from the lake and discharge 134 million gallons of water. The plant is also allowed to discharge water with a temperature of up to 108 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter and up to 86 Fahrenheit in the summer. The residents of Dresden have expressed concern over the rising temperatures of the lake. The sustainability of trout species that populate the lake is a key concern for locals with the fish thriving in temperatures between 52 and 64 degrees Fahrenheit, while levels above 75 degrees Fahrenheit are lethal for some species. On July the 5th, local homeowner Abby Boodington told NBC, quote, the lake is so warm you feel like you're in a hot tub. In April, Michael McKeon, a representative of Green Ridge refuted accusations the firm had raised the temperature of Seneca Lake. Quote, we are not blasting heated water into the lake. That's just not true. We have the most advanced technology and we will continue to invest in the most advanced technology to protect the fish in the lake, a spokesperson said. On May the 9th, Greenidge shared information from its data center showing that between March 1st and April 17th, a critical period of the local trout spawning season, its daily discharge temperatures ranged between 46 and 54 degrees Fahrenheit. A thermal study on Seneca's lake water temperature is yet to be conducted with an upcoming analysis currently slated to take place in 2023. <laughs> if you're so concerned, pay for it out of your own pocket and get that shit done today. Since the start of June, Greenidge's Bitcoin mining operations have been carbon neutral with the firm announcing plans to purchase carbon offsets as part of its sustainability goals. The plant located in Dresden, New York, is currently capable of drawing roughly 41 megawatts of power with Greenidge planning to expand its capacity to 85 megawatts by 2022. Think you mean generate. 
41. Not not drawing. You're a power plant, not a power consumer. You generate the power and then you send it over to your mining rigs. So they're not drawing anything. They're actually producing. So that's the mistake. Judith Inc., a former regional administrator of the, oh God, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is unconvinced by the firm's actions, telling NBC, quote, Carbon offsets is not a particularly effective way to reach greenhouse gas reduction goals, and there is no system in place to regulate it in New York. That seems like an odd statement from somebody like her. Ah, fuck it. I don't want to get into it. Atlas Holdings acquired the Greenage plant in 2014, converting it from a coal burner to a natural gas burner before reopening it in 2017. Local activist group, the Seneca Lake Guardian, described the plant as burning fossil fuels to make money in the midst of climate change. Cointelegraph reported on July the 2nd that Greenage is planning to expand its crypto mining operations to South Carolina as early as this year. The firm plans to expand its crypto mining operations across multiple locations and achieve an operational capacity of at least 500 megawatts by 2025. All right, guys, lakes can get weird. And a lot of this has to do with a bunch of externalities, right? First of all, the eastern seaboard has been in the grips of a pretty major heat wave. And I'm talking like kind of unseen for a long, 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 long time. And it's been hanging out for a long, 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 long time. Two, what's the depth of Seneca Lake? Is it a shallow lake? If so, you've got problems there. So I don't know if Seneca Lake is shallow or not. But here's, here's the thing. Lake LBJ here in Texas, um, in midsummer, when you jump in that thing, feels like a sauna. At least the first six feet of water feel like a sauna. If you dive down, you can actually feel the thermal layer shift. You can literally feel it. It's a layer of hot water on top of a bunch of cold water. That's sort of kind of the way lakes work. The top is heated and lots of stuff grows there. You know what grows there? Fish food. <laughs> like little, you know, kind of like, I guess you can call it lake, lake plankton and algae and all kinds of shit. And then they start falling into the colder layers and that's where the fish kind of congregate. The fish are not stupid. They're not going to go into a layer that kills them. But most lakes act like this. Now, if it's a hot lake all the way to the bottom, then my question becomes, why wasn't it this way when it was a coal-fired plant? Because the whole deal is that plant's been there for years. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's killing fish. You know what? Corporate media, along with their, well, actually, I guess we could call it the industrial, corporate industrial media complex have weaponized humanity against itself. Because that's all, we, all you got to do is like you want to make sure that, they, that they're always slaves and never have a good, sound financial future. Make sure they never adopt a good money. How do we do that? We, we basically flip the switch and instigate the programming that we gave them starting 25 years ago. And we just point to Bitcoin and the, the, the swarm and huddled masses just go all over it. They've weaponized us against each other, folks. It's sad to see, but it's, it's happening. Now, 
Uh, let's see. Oh, we're coming up to an hour here. <clears throat> let's do, let's see. Yeah, you know what? I've got Coinbase luring hundreds of Indian engineers with $1,000 crypto bonuses. The skinny is, is that Coinbase is opening some, some operations in India and they're trying to find people. So they're bribing them with $1,000 of shitcoin. And this is from Decrypt. I'm not gonna read it because you get the gist of it. What are the chances that they pay in Bitcoin? Probably nothing. Why? Because Coinbase hates Bitcoin. I still don't understand that one. And then the last one is gonna be Bitcoin exchange supply ratio at six month low. All right, so <clears throat> it's almost as if there's not any BTC left on exchanges is sort of where we're at. I mean, clearly there's some, there's enough to move the markets, but liquidity on, on the exchanges is just drying up really, really fast. They suggest that this news story suggests that it's good for Bitcoin. Everything's good for Bitcoin. Even massive volatility and price swings are good for Bitcoin. It's just that my question becomes this, when if I have a whole, like let's say 50% of the supply of Bitcoin that's ever been mined is sitting on exchanges and people are trading the shit out of it, I can see that as price discovery. That makes sense. But when you literally dry up all the liquidity and there's only a few people that have a scant amount of Bitcoin on exchanges and you're talking about like maybe 5% of, you know, of the liquid Bitcoin or all the Bitcoin that's ever been mined is actually liquid across all the exchanges. Can somebody please instruct me how that has anything to do with price discovery? And not just like, and, and not like we've entered into something new. I mean, there's always st stocks and equities and shit to trade on exchanges. Always. It's like there's always liquidity there. And yet somehow or another, when we get into the Bitcoin land, we've got a situation where most people are just sitting on their Bitcoin stash or buying goods and services because a lot of people actually are, but they're not actively trading it on, you know, I don't know, whatever exchange is left to trade on, Kraken, let's say. How's that price discovery? How is it like, you know, 0.1% of Bitcoin holders are able to move the markets just because they're the ones that are trading on an exchange. Can somebody tell me how that shit works? Shouldn't there be some kind of ratio metric where it's like, well, it's only 0.1% of, of, of the Bitcoin being traded today. So, you know, that we got above whatever the price discovery was, <clears throat> like, let's say it dropped, you know, the, the price on exchanges drops by like $1,000. How is that not just 10 bucks? <laughs> You know, I, I don't understand trading. <clears throat> That's obviously clear. So somebody, please, somebody, anybody reach out and tell me how it is that we've entered, that we can still be in quote unquote price discovery with almost no Bitcoin actually trading hands on exchanges. Please. It's at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. That's B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. Reach out, slap me about the head and shoulders, and give me an education. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, let's end this Tuesday's show with Dad Says Jokes. My wife just stopped and said, you weren't even listening, were you? I thought... That's a pretty weird way to start a conversation.
Okay. <laughs> it's always fun. It's always fun. Uh, so 450, episode 450 is in the bag. Again, if you want to help a brother out, listen to the show on Breeze Wallet, B-R-E-E-Z Wallet. They have a podcasting app. You can stream me sats. I can stream you my dulcet tones. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.